one arm blows up like the Hulk, the other one looks the same, and you're like, oh, okay, this side is definitely allergic to pollen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Totally. It's damn you right side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Matt Report, the number one WordPress business podcast. This isn't geek speak. It's about the journey of success and failure as a WordPress entrepreneur. Get ready. You're just an episode away from your next aha experience or big idea. And now your host, Matt. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Episode 48 of the Matt Report. This is your first time here. Where the heck have you been? This is number one WordPress business podcast on the web. We bring on WordPress entrepreneurs from all walks of life. People who are freelancers, building themes, building plugins, making a living. That's who we're talking to, mattreport.com. Mattreport.com slash subscribe. Join the mailing list. This is episode 48 with Shane Perlman. It is a tremendously awesome interview. I know I say that about all of them. But this one is really, really, really good. So who is Shane? Shane, I am calling the godfather of freelancing. He is the founder, one of the founders of Modern Tribe, a WordPress agency that does a lot of service work, does a great uh, WordPress plugin that's super popular, uh, and he has a lot of business sense. And he comes on the show today to share that knowledge with us. Uh, I don't even want to set the stage anymore. Let's get started with this amazing interview. Hey everybody, hey everybody, welcome to another amazing episode of The Matt Report. Super, super excited to get Shane Perlman on the show. Shane, welcome. Hey Matt. The folks in the WordPress space probably already know a lot about you. Um, Give folks the elevator pitch, the two-minute drill of who you are, because we got a ton of stuff to talk about. Sure. So hi, everybody. Uh, My name's Shane. I am uh, one of those guys who's actually uniquely talented in the ability to know a very little about a whole lot of stuff, but not a whole lot about anything in particular. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as a basis of that, I've built a whole business around that. Uh, (laughs) I've been freelancing now. Well, I freelanced full time for about seven years. And then for the last Five, I guess six years now, uh, I've been a partner in a small but growing kind of boutique agency that does a lot of WordPress as well as a lot of other things and as well as some products. Nice. So you have the, I guess, the entrepreneurial bug that we all do, that we all have. We kind of see something that we really want to get involved with. And, you know, for lack of a better term, we see that shiny object and we kind of go after it. Um, how did you really start to focus and build that virtual business? Like what really said, you know what, it's time to, to grow a team, virtual team, get some people on board, things like that. Well, I, I've gone through a couple of major kind of inflection points in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, the first was, you know, I, I, I did everything that my pop said I should. You know, I went to school and I studied hard and <laughs> got that whopping degree in anthropology that yes. I knew was going to take me right to the top. <laughs> And, and, you know, and I, I moved to Silicon Valley and got into the dot-com in 2000 and things looked great. And then I got laid off and then I got laid off and then I got laid off and I got laid off. <laughs> and this layoff in two years, I, I rapidly concluded something is not right. Mm. 
Um, and, and so that was inflection number one. Like I call it my, my quarter life crisis, mm. which was the, the whole pitch about how life was supposed to work out and my career was supposed to work that I was given growing up was not panning out whatsoever. Mm. So I started freelancing because I figured, uh, well, one, like I, I was kind of hungry and I needed food and uh, I was nine months into a layoff, uh, into my fifth one. And so I just started hustling, hitting everybody I could to find sites, to do anything I could to, to build work. Uh, so I, got, I learned how to hustle pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's sort of the start of freelancing for me. Um, the, the second, you know, mostly because I quickly concluded that, I don't know, maybe, maybe a lot of your listeners have had a different experience than I have, but the myth of job security w- was starting to look pretty vague. Mm. Uh, and, and so I figured, you know, well, if I'm the owner, at least I'm the last guy to go. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, as opposed to like, you know, if you're a developer and you're working at some place like Adobe and Adobe's having a bad quarter, mm. there's not much you can do. It's not like you're going to go hit the streets and start selling copies of Photoshop, mm. to save your job. Right. But as a freelancer, like things were a little rough, you know, like I wasn't afraid of getting out there and being uncomfortable. Like that wasn't a fear I had. And so... I figured if, if things are gnarly, I can always hustle harder, and then I have direct control over my life. Not that was a very strong appealing factor. Right. Um, I'm, I'm glad. I'm I'm so glad you brought up the the word hustle because I just gave us a, a talk at WordCamp Providence, right? And towards the end of my or at the question and answer segment, somebody said, "Well, how do you get more clients?" And then somebody in the audience blurted out, "You hustle." And then everybody kind of like laughed, like, yeah, that, that's what everyone says. And I could tell this guy that was asking me the question was like super genuine. Like he didn't know, he didn't know, like he didn't know that you had to hustle. He probably hadn't, hadn't heard the word before. And I think that sometimes when people say, oh, you hustle, people will get worried, uh, not worried, but they think, okay, I have to get out into my car and go door to door or I just have to tell everybody about my business. Every person I see on the street, I have to tell them about my business. Um, is that how you hustled, or did you have more of a tactful way of hustling? Well, I did a lot of things. I tried. So first of all, just to – a lot of people who meet me today meet a fairly gregarious and social person. Mm-hmm. For all of you introverts, <laughs> that is not my nature. Mm-hmm. My prefer, like my wife spends more time frustrated that what I want to do is stay at home and read a book than go out and talk to anybody in my personal time. And so there was a lot of just learning. Um, But there were a number of things that I did. One was I realized I didn't actually know a lot of people because unless you surfed or hung out with me, I hadn't chatted with you before. And so I I set a goal initially was just to meet a new person every day. And that was one, just to build some social skills, to build a community. Um, I also tried to figure out where are people who have money. Mm-hmm. So I started looking. In my case, I live in Santa Cruz. I'm about an hour away from Silicon Valley. So I had the opportunity with a long enough drive, you know, sometimes it was an hour and a half, two hours each way, to go find the type of events that really had people at projects. And, and there's nothing wrong with local chamber of commerce. But a lot of those people are small business owners and they're scrapping by just like you are. And, you know, they, they've got thousand dollar projects. And I quickly realized I wanted to find bigger projects than that. Mm. So I started going to any cheap conference I could afford to go to where anybody with the title VP might be there. 
Um, I would go over to uh, like lunch events or network, you know, like, uh, you know, tech lunch events, meetups, anything I could do where, uh, where people, project managers, uh, you know, I go to PMI events. So that's Project Management Institute, because I figure if you're a legitimate project manager, you actually make the decision on the budget on staffing for your projects. Mm. And so like when you talk about hustling strategically, that was a big one for me is like, where are the right people who actually make decisions? Mm. Um, you know, conferences are a huge one, like a lot of big projects. And then the other is just straight up referrals. Like when I was getting started, the first thing I did with my wife is we sat down and we made a list of literally every single person I knew. And this was pre-Facebook, pre-social. So for those of you who today, you actually have a huge advantage, especially if you're using this because you've already got a list. Mm. Um, but I sat down, I put an Excel spreadsheet and I made a list of every single human being I knew. And then I called them all. <laughs> and, and I called them and I basically went like, hey, I'm starting a business. I'm going to make websites. Do you know anybody or are you looking for a website? And that was the most terrifying and difficult process I've ever had, but it led to projects. Yeah. And, and I was really nice to people. And I said, look, I'm not hassling, you know. If I've treated you with respect, you know, I'm sure you'll know anybody I refer you to. And, you know, I must have called 200 people over a period of a few weeks. And, you know, and my hand still shakes when I think of it. <laughs> um, but the outcome of those calls, uh, I will say one tip that had a huge impact. Somebody told this to me. They said, uh, if you're actually doing calls, like I call them warm calls. I never do cold calls. I don't call people I don't know. I don't think it'll have very good effective impact. But I... Definitely follow up with people I've met who I built a great relationship with, even if it was for 10 minutes at a conference. And voicemails don't work. They never drive business. I, fi I finally found the one voicemail that will get people to call me back. And it goes like this. Hi, this is Shane. We met at, or you know me from blah. I have a question for you. Could you give me a call back at number X? That's it. Nothing else. Not another word. Because the curiosity is just going to kill them. Right. And they yeah. will call you back. Yeah. The challenge is when they call you back on your cell and you've left 30 of those voice messages, be ready with your question. <laughs> like practice it, practice it on your dog, practice it on your cat, practice it on your wife, because it's your one shot when they call you back and they go like, Hey Shane, uh, thanks so much for calling me. What's your question? You know, the question is, Hey, uh, I'm busy for the next couple of months, but I'm trying to fill up my project pipeline and do you know anybody who needs a mobile app? Do you know anybody who needs a WordPress site? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, and, and that have that question so comfortable that when they call you, you don't get flummoxed and pause and awkward. Yeah, that's tremendous, tremendous advice. I love that tactic. How important do you think it is to evaluate your first client and use them as the kind of the domino effect to the next? Like, is it always a good idea to use them as the base uh, to find these these new referrals and get them into your portfolio? Or does that first client usually not work out the way you hope they do? I don't know. It, it, I think it's really going to depend for a lot of people on the luck of the draw mm. a little bit and where they're at in their cycle. You know, if you're working a full-time job and you're you're just starting slowly – be picky. Why would you take a shitty client? Right. Like, there's no reason. If you were like I were and you're nine months into a layoff, 
you don't care. You're like, what? Shovel chicken shit with a fondue? Fork? <laughs> you know, it's like, so uh, I think it really depends. I will say you brought up a really good point, which is how do you drive business by leveraging your existing clients? Mm. And, and Peter and I found out something early on that had a huge impact on our business, which is don't wait till the end of your project to ask for a referral. Mm. The best time to ask for a referral is somewhere right in the middle where you've delivered something they're excited about, but they haven't gotten to the point where they're poking all the holes and maybe you guys are tired of each other. Like it's, you know, it's like dating, right? You got the dating high. Um, that's when you ask for a referral. That's when you get them to write something nice in LinkedIn. That's when you go like, hey, this is going really well. Do you happen to know anybody else? Or if it's a large enough company, our goal is always to, to, to leap departments. Mm. So, hey, oh, you're in R&D. Do you know anybody in product who could really use a hand or technical skill or you know UX design, whatever it is that you're doing? I love that. I'm going to steal that right away. <laughs> that is tremendous because I just go through, you know, as the summer, and I don't know if you have ever experienced this, and maybe this is a good question to kind of ask so the audience knows. I noticed that whole uh, seasonal thing kicking in, especially in August. Folks are on vacation. Decision makers are on vacation. Things get a little bit more quiet around this time, at least in my experience on the East Coast. So I'll start sending out emails now, you know, saying, hey, we're trying to fill up for next year, uh, 2014. Yep. Um, but this will be on clients that we launched, you know, at beginning of the summertime. Um, and I, I definitely notice, you know, though they loved us, though they loved the product, they just don't respond <laughs> because they're just busy, you know, or, or on vacation, that kind of thing. Um, so getting them right in the middle is definitely an awesome tactic. When did you decide that? So something that's interesting is you moved out to the Valley and you got into the whole dot-com thing. When did you decide that WordPress was going to be sort of a, a, the lifeblood of some of the business? Totally. Um, so, when were we? Uh, sometime mid-2006, we, we were working with a lot of different CMSs. Peter and I just started partnering. Um, there was a, a technologically catastrophic event, which is the primary programming language that I was using and it's still deeply in love with died. Mm. And so there was sort of an opportunity to revisit the technical world and figure out where I was going to go from there. Uh, Peter had been coding in PHP, and so we started looking, we played with Joomla, we played with CMSMS, we played with WordPress, played with Drupal, and we did projects and all of these, and they all had their strengths and weaknesses. But we noticed like one really tangible difference that leaned us towards WordPress, and that was that six months after any project, it was totally common for the client to come back and be like, so... The only person who could figure out how to use our Joomla site just left the company. Uh. Could you train us all over again? Uh. And that happened with Drupal, and that happened with Joomla, and that happened with CMSMS. We never, ever had that happen with WordPress. People just figured it out. Right. And it wasn't that coding for one was that much better than the other. Like they, they were all strengths and weaknesses, but the users seemed so much happier that for us as a business, we figured out that that was a significant advantage. Um, so I think by early 2007, we, we were pretty focused on, it might've been late, entirely focused on WordPress for, for our, our CMS solutions. Hmm. Feel free to 
come out of the microphone and slap me in the face for saying this, but walking around, walking on the streets of San Francisco, around the valley, do people take, if you're not Matt Mullenweg, do people take WordPress startups seriously out there? It's a really great question. And, and the, the question is the word startup, and that's kind of a loaded word. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I, I say that because I watched Matt Mullenweg talk with Jason Calacanis of This Week in Startups, and it was just one of those things where, of course, he's talking to Matt Mullenweg, so founder sure. of WordPress and all that stuff. You know, and then Matt said, you know, it, it, WordPress allows us to build a marketplace of themes and plugins, right? And then Jason Calacanis is just, you know, kind of like laughs it off like, oh, that was cute. You know, but these companies are doing millions of dollars in revenue and combined they're a huge market or at least a pretty good sized marketplace. Uh, can folks, will folks take WordPress more seriously in two years from now or should they be taking it seriously now? Well, it depends on the scope of who you're talking to. So as a service company, Modern Tribe, we deal with a lot of really big brands. I mean, we're working with Microsoft. We're working with uh, Steelcase. We're working with eBay. We're working with a lot of brands. And, and a lot of this stuff is WordPress. Uh, and so where, where in 2009, 2008, we were having conversations like, no, no, I swear it's not a little blogging tool. <laughs> it's stuff. I don't have those conversations anymore. Mm. Like there, there's no more defending of WordPress. Like that, that's mostly handled. We, we have enough internal cases and stories that, you know, like every so often we have to have that discussion, but in general, from, from a perspective of scale and large media uses, and even in perspective of starting to do some of the app stuff that we're doing on the service side, it, it, it's proven itself. Mm. Now as, as, as far as a startup solution goes, there's an interesting question, which is you got that that whole open source conundrum. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have a product business as well. We have the events calendar and a lot of events plugins. And I, I was at South by Southwest Vegas this last week and had a really interesting discussion with a, a few different lawyers where they were talking about selling companies and acquisition points. And I was like, well, you know, heck, I'm curious. So... Here, we have this plug-in business. It's profitable, it's stable, it's growing. Like, here's this scenario and situation. Is that sellable? Hadn't considered it. We had no intention of doing that. We like it. But what the heck? You're here. And, and the conversation that happened was very interesting around WordPress and the impact of open source. Mm. And so conversations around things like, what happened with Jigo Shop and WooThemes? Mm. And like, well, what does it mean when somebody legally can basically take your code and go do whatever the heck they want with it? They could set up competition mm. right across mm. the street from you. And so that that becomes a different issue. And so there, there are some natures that isn't per se WordPress. It's just the nature of open source. But yet it still has impact when you're considering what it means in the startup world regarding IP. Mm. Do you, can you forecast... Nope. Let me rephrase that. Do you think that open source is the reason why we're having this whole uh, discussion on pricing WordPress products nowadays? Um, the sustainability, uh, WooThemes currently raising their prices, a lot of folks following suit. Um, you know. Oh, I, I think we've. <laughs> let me let me put it this way. I've had email conversations at least a bunch of major shops in the last six months a year, ask them, why are your prices so low? Right. 
Like you guys haven't raised prices in years. Is that even sustainable? And the conversation came out. I was like, no, no, you're totally right. This is totally unsustainable. Mm. We And the fact is, oh, I don't want to get into it. I have a lot of philosophies about inflation mm-hmm. and, and what, what, you know, quantitative easing has done with the dollar and the fact that, hey, people, get ready for some severe inflation in the United States in the next two to five years mm. and prepare for it and expect. And when you see Wu Themes raising prices, it's still really, really cost-effective software for what it offers. Right. Uh, you know, we've got our own price increase, which we've been planning for like, well, we've been planning to do it with 3.0 coming out, but 3.0 ran about six months late. Mm. So... Um, but we've actually got it up on our site. It's been declared. And at the end of this month, we're, we're taking prices up, I think about 20%. Mm. Um, it's not dramatic, but whether that has anything to do with the open source, I don't think so. Right now, Walmart's raising prices. Like, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to see a lot of people raising prices across the board. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think maybe it's sort of, at least on the consumer side, maybe they're just so used to number one, just saying, Oh, WordPress is free. Why do I have to pay for something else to add on to it? And with thousands of free themes and thousands of free plugins, maybe they're sort of uh, just, uh, you know, not privy to having to pay for something, right? To, well, to I, I think these are different users. And so you're, you're nailing something really important, which is why the heck would I pay for something when there's an abundance of free stuff all around me? Right. And... and the best answer I have for you, and it's it's literally, I heard this talk from stage, and it was the catalyst for us starting a premium plugin business. Uh, Scott Birkin, I think, I can't remember, was it 2010, was up at WordCamp SF. He got on stage, he says, I'm one of the older WordPress users out there. Like, I've been using WordPress a long time as a business. He says, and I have a problem. And my problem is very simple. For a long time, you know, I had my, my book business and my content business and I'm making money and suddenly one day my site gets hacked and my site goes down and I'm losing money and I'm freaking out. And everybody's telling me like, dude, aren't you upgrading all your stuff? You know, this is security is important. He's like, oh, okay, well, I didn't know. So I guess I'm going to start upgrading things. And he's like, and it was going along great until about a year later I hit upgrade and the upgrade took my site down. And he's like, now I'm completely trapped. He said, the person who solves this for me, I will give you money. He said, if I don't upgrade, my site goes down, I lose money. If I do upgrade, my site goes down, I lose money. I just need plugins I can trust. Hmm. He's like, because I have a business that depends on that. Hmm. Well, that, that's where free stops being all that valuable. Hmm. You know, oh, great. You could save... $70 by not paying for a plugin, but you're going to lose 10,000 in sales when your site goes down for three days. Like that's not very good math. Right. Right. Um, so to me, like where, I mean, that's the whole point of Red Hat, you know, Linux, their whole business is, Hey, you can have it for free, but if you actually need it to work and have trust and dependability, well then if you want to pay for that, we're going to make sure that it's there for you. Right. So that's the whole right. premium business. And I think, it's not about feature the feature X or feature Y or this or that. It's about trust and accountability. And that's what we're selling. And it doesn't mean our software is perfect. It doesn't mean we're going to like, we're trying to make stuff work with every single crazy theme in the world. Like that's almost impossible. <laughs> um, but the difference is when you're struggling, we've got people there who are going to hang out with you and try to solve it. Right. How, if you, if somebody were to start, 
uh, if a young Shane came about back to the future style, stepped out of the yeah. DeLorean and said, I'm going to create events calendar pro, how much would Shane sell it for today? That's a really good question. So I asked a bunch of people, uh, how much in terms of the, the plugin price or the business? Yeah. Or the price, the price. Um, I don't know. We, we debate that regularly. Um, for me, like I think for a, First of all, most people don't realize how gnarly and gigantic a project this is. Oh, yeah. I've had two different agencies come up quietly and be like, hey, dude, we're like, we're going to take those modern tribe guys on and we're going to build another calendar because we could do it better. And they're like, and then we tried and we're like, oh, my God, this is really hard. <laughs> um, so when you look at probably like when you look at plugins, there's also the scope of what you're managing and what you're building. Um I personally think a, a decent, well-supported plugin is worth a hundred bucks, easy. Mm. And now on, um, on an annual basis, yeah. Well, on an annual basis, it comes back to that question of like, what are you buying? If you're buying trust, well, do you, what's the longevity and lifetime of your site? Plenty of sites don't really need to live beyond a year. Mm. Or if they do, they live in stasis and die a quiet, creeping death. Um, and and that's pretty normal if you look at even the amount of people who upgrade WordPress. So it it it's debated. It's a debatable question. But as far as the value, I don't know. I would challenge people to actually sit down and do an exercise, which is figure out the amount of energy and time it's going to cost you to build this. Figure out the amount of energy and time it's going to take you to support it. Mm. Sit down with yourself or your spouse or your partner and figure out what kind of lifestyle you want to live. Mm. Figure out what kind of income you need to make and actually try to figure out like, well, what kind of price point and sale volume would this need to do to actually be a viable business? Right. And from there that starts informing price point because you know, there's two, there's two sides to price point. There's what the market will pay. And there's what you need to make. I mean, one of the conversations we debate all the time is like, well, gee, is it better to have less customers but who pay more, who are more likely to be engaged and uh, have a higher profit margin? Or is it better to have, you know, what's better, the uh, Apple Store model, a million people paying a dollar? Mm. But then you got to support a million people. <laughs> or is it better to have, uh, you know, 10 people paying a hundred thousand, which is maybe closer to the agency model, mm. yeah. you know, or something in between. Yeah. So what is your take on, this might be a little drama press, but do you think there's an arms race, uh, in the WordPress service industry right now? My shop's bigger than your shop kind of thing. Oh, you, you mean Jake and <laughs> everybody out there anyway? Um, sure. I would say that there's actually a very interesting talent race in tech in general right now. Mm. Uh, this is outside of WordPress, but WordPress is, is deeply entrenched. And so, yeah, like, you know, I think you were at WordCamp SF. If you looked at the board, so every WordCamp SF I've ever been to has a board that says, I'm looking for work or I'm hiring. Mm. And, tip it, and up until last year, the I'm looking for work was completely tattooed and the I'm hiring had like three of us. Mm. This year, the I'm hiring board was so covered that it spilled all over the I'm looking for work board. And there was like one lady's name on the I'm looking for work side <laughs> that was actually looking for work. So they're, they're really what, what's going on is you've got a, a, a booming tech environment, I guess. 
Um, I, I can only speak about my own sales pipeline mm. uh, and, and say that we've kind of had a weird year uh, in the sense that we had a really slow first quarter, but it wasn't a surprise. Mm. Uh, it was mostly because we had two, like three year, uh, two and a half, three year long contracts end with the possibility of renewal. Gotcha. And so we weren't sure whether or not we could sell into that pipeline space. Gotcha. Um, but as far as like amount of work, yeah, there is so much opportunity for work as far as like what people are trying to achieve with their agencies. And we, I think we have different goal sets, you know, J- Jake clearly has a vision for, for, a large agency that can really shape an industry. Mm. I have no interest in that whatsoever. Mm. I actually want to hang out with my kid. I want to surf. Like for, for Peter Reed and I, our whole goal is a lifestyle business. Right. You know, like I came out of that whole dot-com burst and took a really deep look at what I wanted out of my life. When I re-examined the fact that like the career thing wasn't flying and quickly concluded that for me, if I could just have a lifestyle that I'm really stoked on. I would actually be a very happy person. Yeah. And so I, we could easily be bigger, but it wouldn't actually generate any more happiness for me. Mm. Um, and I think the three of us guys make enough money that we're pretty all right. Like, you know, Reed just got to buy his wife her dream house. Nice. That's epic. You know, like, um, I, I'm getting to spend all the, t- you know, I'm going to go take my daughter paddleboarding after school today. Nice. You know, like I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. It's something to, something to be said, um, for the lifestyle. Um, and it's tremendous that WordPress can offer kind of both sides, I guess, if you wanted to pursue, um, you know, an empire of, um, you know, developers and software engineers, you can do that if you want to do lifestyle and be happy and produce awesome stuff. Um, you can do that too. Not to say that one is much different than the other, but you have, oh, you have the flexibility. And, you know, pick, pick the one that's more interesting to you. Heck you could even all the way down to like, there is plenty of work for a, like a solo freelancer to have an amazing life. Mm. You know, now the challenge as a solo freelancer is that, you know, you're going to have to be okay dealing with people. Right. <laughs> it be really, really crazy sometimes. Yeah. Um, I'm so. glad you bring up the freelancer. It's something that uh, I did a post about you uh, called the freelancer's resource bomb. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, it was all your, all your tweets at the WordCamp San Francisco talk uh, or uh, panel that you did. You hire a lot of freelancers. You do business with a lot of freelancers. Yeah. What is it that freelancers have to learn right out of the gate? Is there one lesson that they should be focused on uh, so that they can work with a comp- company like yours? Oh, man. There are so many. Um, I'm going to just throw a few things that come to mind. Like, here are the things that every year I have to deal with that I wish I didn't. <laughs> Please pay your taxes. <laughs> It is not an option. And it's not that people screw up. It's that they just, they've been an employee for so many years and taxes are automatically taken out. And it just nobody tells them, hey, you should probably take anywhere from 20 to 35% of every check you get, put it in a bank account for the end of the year because it's not your money. It's the government's money. Whether or not you agree with that is immaterial. It's, it's just a reality. Mm. Uh, and if you end up owing less, awesome. Forced savings plan. You know, like... That's great. So that's one because it's 
at least one person a year comes up to me and is like, so could I get some extra work? Because I owe 10000 in taxes and didn't realize it. <laughs> and, and that just sucks. So that's one. Two, clock your time. Uh, one of the most powerful things you can do as a freelancer is to have information that gut checks you. Because like the, one of the biggest challenges of working alone is you spend a lot of time in your own head. You lose all perspective of things. Things can get really blown out of proportion. Um, you can work really hard for very little profit or you can work very little for a lot of profit. And it's really hard to see it unless you have the data that lets you know how you're doing. Hmm. Uh, and clocking your time is is the foundational. It's, it's like it's the building block. Hmm. So, you know, for me, I was a couple years into freelancing and I was having a really like it was all right, but it wasn't really doing all that awesome. Uh, and I went to the to the SBDC. That's the Small Business Development Center. Uh, if you live in the United States and you're listening to that, it is one of the most awesome free services available. It's paid for by your taxes. Uh, they're usually at a university campus is where they tend to locate, but almost all decent-sized cities have one. Uh, and they will hook you up with free services. So I got free bookkeeping. I got an accountant to sit down and help me figure out how to track stuff. I got a business plan person to sit down and look at my business and help me figure out how to make more money. And it had like a really significant effect on my business. Within within a year of sitting down with Carla, the, the bookkeeping gal they put me with, I doubled my income. And I doubled my income for five years straight every year following the patterns that she and I worked out. Amazing. And, and it really came down to track every penny and every hour, sit down at the end of every quarter and go like, well, where was I most effective and are there things that aren't working? Mm. And so like for me, one of the first things I realized was the content work, even though I really enjoyed it, really didn't pay very well compared to development for me. Right. Now, it doesn't mean somebody doing content can't do a lot more money. It's just I was a better dev. Right. Um, and so I stopped doing content work and then I started focusing on, well, what kind of clients could I leverage or was there, was there certain types of projects I was more profitable at? Were there certain kinds of clients I was happier with, you know, and starting to just work on the business, just not work, not just on my client stuff. Mm. And that had such a massive impact. Um, so number two as a freelancer, like you are in business, act like it. Mm. Like, like, take the time to sit down and look at your business as an entity, not just, uh, not just a hustle. You know, heck, for the first two years, I didn't know I was in business. It never <laughs> actually occurred to me. I was just hustling. I was like, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm yeah. gonna, you know, and it was only when I somehow managed through my dad to land a project with Boeing. And they were like, well, we we'll need your business license. And I'm like, what business yeah. license? <laughs> I'm just a freelancer. What are you talking about? They're like, no, you are a business. Right. Um, and, there, so. and there's something to be said as you scale when you when you land a Boeing. I had another guest on who who spoke about when he landed uh, Pepsi as one of his clients, and he just wasn't prepared for insurance, lawyers, you know that yeah. same thing, business like like all this stuff that they were asking for. And he was like, whoa, 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 like I don't have any of this, and they had to move on and find somebody else because he just wasn't prepared. Um, Interesting. Well, I got really lucky, and my client was like a friend of my dad, so he nice. coached me through it. But, but I got blessed. Um, earlier today, I interviewed Brian Richards uh, of Startbox and um, um, WP Sessions, and uh, he's also a developer at Web Dev Studios. He cool. talked about 
working at an agency, he worked at an agency first before he went to freelancing and how much that taught him about knowing the business and understanding that it's a business. You have to work for the man before you become the man is what he said. Um, it's something that I see, especially when I work with interns from our, like the local universities and stuff near us is they just don't understand the business side. They don't, they feel like they're entitled to be, to do stuff, quote unquote, because you're charging money for their talent. They don't understand the overhead, what it takes to run a business. Should these freelancers be diving into an agency experience first or just freshening up on their business skills? That's a really great question. Um, I think it depends a lot on the agency and how you work and what level you engage in. Mm. Uh, ultimately, I mean, it comes back to that, What what's your goal? Right. You know, if your goal is to have a great freelance business with a lifestyle, you can learn a lot of this stuff. Mm. Like there's, God, the internet is so unbelievably amazing if you can just sort through a lot of it. Mm. Um, ultimately, and there's just some really, like I read a lot and most of the business skills that you're going to need up front, I mean, once you acknowledge that you need them, you'll pick them up pretty quick. Right. Um, and it's just reading a lot of books about working with people. It's reading, but it's understanding like, and sitting down with mentors and asking questions, things like, so I'm about to land my first big client. Well, what do I need? Well, you're going to need a contract. Well, where do I get a contract? Well, actually, hey, Modern Tribe has a contract on their website that you can borrow and just use and tailor. Okay, great. You know, and, and our contract gets an enormous amount of traffic um, from freelancers who are just looking to get started and need a good place to start. Yeah. What's the uh, number one challenge facing you right now? Okay, this is this is totally like first world middle aged white man crisis. <laughs> um, so so total disclosure for all of you who are at different stage of your life. Don't hate me. Um, my biggest struggle is that it took me thirteen years to get there, but we have a business that actually nails my lifestyle. Like I'm really happy. Mm. I get to play with my family. I get to surf. I get to travel. I get to play in real estate, which I love. Like I pretty much have the life I want. Nice. My wife isn't working and we're making enough money that that's okay. Like that's, it's awesome. Um, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I have this quiet voice. It's like, but could you do something bigger? <laughs> that's even more impact. And that voice is an interesting challenge because do I really want that at the cost of the lifestyle that I treasure? Uh, not really. I'm not sure, mm. but it doesn't really go away. And so that's, that's my biggest struggle. Mm. Part of me is like, I want to go build the next mint.com and help people be really intentional and shape more lives. And mm. part of me is like, shut up, dude, you're doing fine. Just yeah. go. Uh, you, and that, that struggle is one I don't I don't really have a great answer to. Till you wake up in the middle of the night and you realize that Jake Goldman's sitting in your bedroom whispering these things into your ear, and uh, it's just one big nightmare. Yeah, that could, <laughs> Jake, yeah so that, Jake's going to kill me. That, no, uh, it'll be all right. I don't think he's in my bed. <laughs> uh, um, so. Well, it's been yeah. a, been an awesome interview, Shane. Uh, the more formal interview, folks are going to learn a lot from this. Let's just dive into the last couple segments here. Uh, sure. First segment, what's in your toolbox? Uh, what app do you use on a daily basis, whether it be on your computer, your iPhone, your iPad, something that people might not know about that helps you get through the day-to-day? 
That's a good question. I don't think my answer is going to impress anybody, but it's the app that continues to shape my life. Uh, I'm on a Mac. I've got Notepad open on the left side of my screen. It takes up about a quarter of my screen. It is my to-do list, and I live and die by it. Mm. Now, I've tried all the different to-do apps, but every time you add even a teeny bit of barrier, I stop using it. Um, but this allows me to make sure that I actually take care of the important, not just the urgent. Mm. Like in life, business, it's so easy for everything to suddenly become urgent. But the important things are the things that actually allow your business to either truly grow or for you to personally get closer to your dream. And every day, at least out of the 10 or 15 things I'm going to accomplish, at least three of them are truly important things that have meaning. Tremendous. <laughs> Let's dive into the lightning round and ask you a series of quick questions, and you'll have a series of quick answers. Sure. The one plugin you can't live without besides your own. Post to post. A favorite WordPress or business book. How I Raised Myself from success, from Failure to Success in Selling, Frank Betcher. A quote that you live or run your business by. Oh, there's a few. There's Happy, Helpful, Curious, Accountable. Uh, celebrate everybody and uh, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> the best business or career advice you ever received. Make a list of the top 25 things you want to have, do, and become. Go find somebody who's done everything on that list. Ask them what they did to get there. And if it's legal, moral, and ethical, grab onto their coattails. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, if you had to switch to another CMS, what would it be? One that doesn't exist yet that I haven't found, but actually allows me to do front end editing in such a natural manner that there's no such thing as a back end and front end anymore. That's awesome. Who should I interview next? Ooh, good question. Uh, let's see. Who was I talking to recently? Have you talked to Pippin? I have. Probably. Yep. All right. Uh, I will I will follow up on that. <laughs> that's some people, but nobody came directly to mind. Uh, what's the one question I didn't ask you that I should have? Great question. <laughs> like it. Sorry, my dog's banging at the that's door. Okay. So he's distracting me. Uh, that's probably my favorite question to ask. So usually I have plenty of answers. But hey, <laughs> um, honestly, more than anything, I would say resources for people who are really getting started. Like, where if I was just getting started, where would I go online to read and learn more? Mm. Do you have one that you could share real quick? Um, depending on where you're at in the cycle of your business, uh, I've, early on in my business, I got a lot of value out of Freelance Switch. Yep. It's, not, it's not as active as it used to be. Um, we actually, I mean, I know you posted it, but we have a freelance.tri.be, which, which we've been just gathering our own resources there. Uh, and then um, I'll admit, I don't, read the freelance stuff as much as i used to <laughs> but uh it's great well shane it's been an awesome interview i appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come and join us and and give us your feedback on what it's like to be uh to become successful and how to get there uh where can folks find you to say thanks uh totally so i'm on twitter at just like air uh, or you can uh, come visit us at our website at tri.be and uh, drop us a line tremendous shane thanks a lot all right thanks man that was tremendous was it not 
Uh, Shane is an awesome dude. He knows some great things about freelancing and running a WordPress business. Uh, MattReport.com, MattReport.com slash subscribe. Join my mailing list um, on iTunes. I'd love a five-star review if you find this stuff useful. Outro music is Built From Scratch by Tab. 